This is The Arc of Change with Donzel Leggett, a podcast from the Anti-Racism Commitment Coalition, an organization dedicated to eradicating racism and hate and spreading anti-racism. Listen as Donzel talks about the relevant topics that will inspire you and help build your capability to take action and change the world. Because none of us are doing enough as long as racism still exists. And now, here's your host, Donzel Leggett. Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Arc of Change podcast with Donzel Leggett. In this critically important and timely episode, I will explain why voting no to the 45th President of the United States, meaning voting against Donald Trump, is not only imperative to our ARC mission, but is also directly aligned with our ARC values. Now let's get started with our show. I am Donzo Leggett, host of the ARC of Change podcast and founder of ARC, the Anti-Racism Commitment Coalition. ARC is a coalition of dedicated people committed to eradicating racism and spreading anti-racism throughout our communities, our countries, and the world. This is the arc of change. In our first episode, I introduced myself as well as explained who the Anti-Racism Commitment Coalition is and what we're all about. Now, since we launched, we've had fantastic reception from people all over the world. Social media awareness, website visits, and even membership have all continued to grow impressively. Feedback on our organization, our website, the content that we have, and our mission has all been very, very positive. However, there's one thing that I'm continually asked about, and it is, if all political views are welcome to join ARC, why are you so vocal about voting no to 45? If you've visited our website or seen some of my videos, you know that ARC is open to anyone and everyone to join our coalition, regardless of political affiliation, as long as the core value of eradicating racism and hate and spreading anti-racism is held above all. But you also know that we view racism as a cancer to our society, and we believe the best way to deal with it is to treat it like the cancer that it is. And we have a two-phase strategy to treat this cancer, one short-term and one long-term. The long-term treatment means doing the hard work of transforming ourselves to be anti-racist, then transforming those in our networks to also become anti-racist and join ARC to do the same with their networks, and so on, and so on, to spread anti-racism through the network exponential growth effect. In this way, We all take a stand together and commit to eradicating the cancer of racism once and for all and to keep it in remission by relentlessly spreading anti-racism. But with an invasive and debilitating cancer like racism, there must also be an immediate intervention treatment to stop the growth of the cancerous tumor of racism and allow the long-term treatment to start taking hold. And we believe that this immediate intervention treatment for this cancer is to vote out of office the most visible embodiment of the malignancy 
of racism and hate. And that's the 45th president of the United States, Donald Trump, and all the political officials who support him remain silent or refuse to stand against him. As I've said before, he is not singularly responsible for where we are, but he has clearly made things worse. And as a visible reminder every day to all Americans and everyone in the world that we tolerate and accept the cancer of racism and hate in this country. To begin to make progress, we must recognize, acknowledge, and admit that this cancer exists and commit to removing it. And this means voting no to the 45th president of the United States, Donald Trump, and all those political officials who support him remain silent or refuse to stand against him. This is not about politics. This is about values. This is not about red or blue. This is about right and wrong. It simply comes down to right and wrong. Visit us at joinarcc.org to learn more about ARC. Donate to our cause and join the movement that will change the world. As I said in the last episode, I was born and raised in Key West, Florida. Now, my parents were working class descendants of Bahamian immigrants. They still live in Key West and have been married for over 60 years. I'm the youngest of four. I have an older brother who's 12 years older and I have two older sisters, one nine years older and one seven years older. So I was the youngest in the family by quite a large margin. In fact, my parents were not expecting me. My mother thought that her childbearing years were over. She had kind of gotten used to the idea, no more babies, no more diapers, no more crying. My mother actually was quite mad when she realized that she was pregnant with me. As she tells the story, she would drink beer during her pregnancy because she was so mad that she was pregnant. But then in her ninth month, she became afraid that all the beer and all the anger would somehow have a bad impact on her unborn child. So she stopped and she started praying hard every day that I would be okay. When I was born, she wouldn't even look at me until she asked the doctor if I had all my fingers and toes. And the doctor said, yes, he's fine. And my mother was so happy and so thankful to God and prayed that she would put all her energy into raising me to be a really good young man. As I grew up, my mother spent lots of time focused on me. You know, since I was the youngest, my siblings really didn't want to play with me because they were so much older. So my mom played with me. We would play baseball. She threw the football to me. We even played army men and action figures. I was a real mama's boy. Everywhere my mom went, I had to follow her. People would tease me all the time and say, boy, you always up under your mama. What you going to do when you grow up? Take your mama with you everywhere you go? You going to take her with you to college? Speaking of college, neither of my parents actually had the chance to go to college. So my mother and my father really, really wanted all four of their children to go. But, you know, my big brother, when he graduated from high school, he decided that serving his country in the Air Force was his choice. My two older sisters were very, very smart, but they didn't want to go to college either. Instead, they wanted to start their careers and eventually get married. 
So at this point, my mother started to see me as her last chance to have one of her kids go to college. So she became very, very involved in everything I did. She started focusing even more of her time, attention, and energy on me, making sure that I stayed focused on school, stayed out of trouble. You know, her dream was for me to go to college, be successful, and make something of myself. You know, it was ironic that the baby that she was mad about, the one that uh, she had to pray that I had on my fingers and toes, became kind of her last chance. She told me many times that she would do anything to ensure that I went to college and was successful. If it meant her never buying anything new for herself, if it meant her working three jobs, four jobs, whatever it took, she would do it. My future was the most important thing to her. And as I got older, she became more convinced that I could make it anywhere, that I could do anything. And she was going to make sure that I had the chance to prove it. She was fully invested in my future and she supported me and was behind me 1000%. But there was one exception, the question of right and wrong. When I became a teenager and I was old enough to start going out with my friends, I remember she told me this one day. She reminded me that she believed that I could do whatever I chose to do and be whatever I chose to be and that she would do anything to protect me and help me make it happen. She reminded me how much she loved me and that as a mother, she would do anything for me as her son, 10 times over if that's what it took. And she would stand up for me against anything and anyone. She said, if you go on these streets, however, with your friends, remember that I won't be there with you to watch everything you do. I won't be there to check the people you're with. I won't be there to approve every decision you make. So use the training that you got from me, your grandmother, and your great-grandmother. You know right from wrong. Stay on the side of right. And if you do get in trouble, and I know you're on the side of right, I'll be with you all the way. I'll do anything to protect you and clear you and help you. I will fight until I can't fight anymore. But if I find out that you're on the side of wrong, I will not support you. You will face the consequences. We all have a choice in this world to be on the side of right or to choose to be on the side of wrong. And as a mother, if I condone you knowingly doing wrong by accepting it because you're my son, I'm enabling you to develop bad character that will follow you the rest of your life. I would be complicit and as such, I would be choosing the side of wrong. And as a mother, that is the worst thing that I could do. And I simply won't do that. And at first, I, I thought she was joking. But when I laughed and she didn't, I knew she wasn't. She looked me dead in the eye. You know, there we don't say straight in the eye. We say dead in the eye. She looked me dead in the eye and repeated what she said about not supporting me if I chose to do wrong. It was a tough thing to hear. And I was scared. Because, you know, all of us make mistakes. Man, nobody's perfect. Certainly not me. But then I realized that she she didn't, didn't literally mean one mistake here or there. What she meant 
was a conscious choice to knowingly and willingly choose wrong on a consistent basis. To choose the side of wrong. She was talking about the essence of right and wrong. She was talking about morality and ethics. She was talking about character and integrity. She was talking about a good and decent person. My mother was thankful that I was a healthy baby. And then she put all her blood, sweat, and tears into raising me. She put all her dreams into what my future could be. She wanted so very badly for me to go to college and become a very successful man. But not if it meant that I would trade being a decent and good person. Even though I was my mother's baby, her youngest child, her last chance in which she placed so many hopes and dreams, she was not willing to subjugate her values and her character for vainglory, status, and material gain. She made clear to me that it was about my choices, right or wrong, and no matter how badly she wanted success for me, it was not more important than holding me accountable if I chose the side of wrong. Donald Trump has chosen the side of wrong. And anyone who supports him is not only enabling him, but complicit and consciously choosing the side of wrong as well. Therefore, we must vote no to Donald Trump and all those public officials who support him because it is not only imperative to the ARC mission of eradicating racism and hate and spreading anti-racism throughout our communities, our countries, and the world, but it is also directly aligns with our ARC values, specifically welcoming all religions and political views as long as the core value and purpose of eradicating racism and hate and spreading anti-racism is held above all. It is clear that Donald Trump and those who support him are not aligned with this core value. Look, there are a number of reasons that I could cite to justify that statement. But for simplicity and clarity, I'll focus on the following three. Number one, he is the most visible symbol of racism and hate in the United States of America. He has chosen not to be a uniter, but a divider. He has chosen the side of wrong. Number two, he has destroyed common cause for good. He has chosen to not focus on the common good of the country and the common good of the people, but instead to focus on the selfish benefit of himself. He has chosen the side of wrong. And number three, he has created the tribalist division of Trumpism, threatening the preservation of our democracy. Trumpism is not conservatism. Trumpism is not republicanism. Instead, it is dangerously close to autocracy and fascism. Choosing Trumpism over democracy is choosing the side of wrong. This is simply about values and right and wrong. And I will explain each of these points in detail in the next three segments. Visit us at joinarc.org. Follow us on Instagram. LinkedIn and Twitter and like us on Facebook.
Reason number one, Donald Trump is the most visible symbol of racism and hate in this country, if not the world. Racism and hate and the division that they sow are wrong and make our country and our society, as well as our communities, weaker when we are divided. Every day that Donald Trump remains in office, it reinforces the message to our children that we tolerate this wrong. That hate is okay. That racism is okay as long as it doesn't negatively impact me. That having racists as part of our government is fine. This is a poison to our soul as a country and undermines our credibility. Look, I've said it before. It is true that no one person has created the situation that we are in. But one person, if occupying the highest office of the country and perceived to be in the role of leader of the free world, can make the situation much worse by representing and sanctioning racism, division, and hate. And this is exactly what Donald Trump has done. He has made things worse. The United States sets the tone on the world stage, for better or for worse. Unfortunately, today we are the example of what worst looks like. We are a country in turmoil. We are a country in crisis. Four more years of this personification of racism and hate in the White House would be devastating to the soul of our country. It would be a guilty verdict on us as Americans that we truly do not believe in our Constitution and the words that are supposed to make our form of government unique and guide the conscience of the United States. That all people are created equal. It would be the death knell of the American dream that this is not the land where everyone is valued and anyone can make it. Look, words matter, especially when they come from an authority figure like the president or the leader of a nation. Social progress and cultural transformation take time. You have to consistently reaffirm it with your words and your actions, and build upon it over generations. You have to stay with it, because there will be ups and downs, and you'll have to persevere to create something that's long-lasting and that's great. Like the construction of the Great Wall of China, which was toiled on over many dynasties, and they continued to build on it for over a thousand years. Many of the builders never lived to see it completed but envisioned the legacy of their work and their toil and their commitment being something distinguishing, great, and long-lasting for the betterment of the people. Eradicating racism and hate and building the Great Wall of Anti-Racism is not going to happen overnight. It will take deliberate leadership with aligned values and commitment to persevere and choose right over wrong. The names may change. Policies may be different. But the focus to move society forward to one that is free of racism and hate must remain the same. You know, the great Nelson Mandela, the former president and national hero of South Africa and Nobel Prize winner, said about his country of South Africa about a decade after the fall of apartheid, Today, we are a nation at peace with itself. 
united in our diversity, not only proclaiming, but living out the contention that South Africa belongs to all who live in it. We take our place amongst the nations of the world, confident and proud in being an African country. You know, he also said this, which is on our ARC website, that no one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin or his background or his religion. People must learn to hate. And if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. For love comes more naturally to the human heart than its opposite. These statements illustrate the positive power and influence that a leader's words can have on lasting and deliberate, positive, social and societal change. In South Africa, today, things are dramatically different. Is it perfect? No. But it really wasn't that long ago when apartheid was the law of the land and South Africa was the embarrassment of the world. Now many South Africans and other citizens of the world look at the United States as the embarrassment of the world because of the racist, hateful, and divisive words and actions of Donald Trump, the current president of the United States. Here's an incomplete list of examples of some of these words and actions. Calling white supremacists who marched with tiki torches and chanted racial epithets and murdered Heather Heyer in Charlottesville Good and fine people. Calling out the white supremacist group, the Proud Boys, telling them to stand back and stand by, which was quickly turned into a logo and a rallying cry for them. Calling African nations shithole countries. Calling Mexicans rapists and murderers. Calling the COVID-19 virus, the China virus, putting many Asian Americans at risk. Not ever fully and clearly disavowing and rebuking all white supremacist groups. Using force to clear Pennsylvania Avenue of peaceful protesters for racial and social justice with tear gas and rubber bullets and military helicopters for a photo op. Calling Confederate figures, slave owners, and segregationists heroes. Surrounding himself with people of known white supremacist views and connections, and in some cases, placing them in positions of influence in his cabinet. People like Steve Bannon and Steve Miller and others. And let's not forget that before he became president, he and his father discriminated against black people to prevent them from renting apartments, continued to campaign and prosecute the Central Park Five in the court of public opinion after DNA evidence had cleared them. And of course, he launched the racist birtherism conspiracy to try to discredit the legitimacy of the first African-American president of the United States. And all of this is not enough. I want to close this section with maybe the most tragic, heartbreaking and anger evoking example to bring my point home. Under the guidance of Stephen Miller, one of Trump's cabinet members who has ties to white supremacist groups, A zero-tolerance immigration policy was developed and enacted at our southern border. This policy specifically targeted minor children. This horrible policy focused on forcibly taking children away from their parents and separating them for the purpose of creating such trauma as to disincentivize people from coming to the border to try to enter the United States. 
Although the strategy was to separate the children from the parents, there was no strategy or plan for reuniting these children with their parents at some time in the future. They simply weren't viewed as important enough to care about. They approved this strategy through a vote by members of the cabinet as if they were deciding where they were going to have dinner or what game they wanted to play for game night or whether they wanted to play 18 or 9 holes of golf. They made this terrible decision in one of the most heartless ways possible. They voted to separate children from their parents with no plan of how to return them and reunite them as a family by a show of hands vote. Then they instructed the Border Patrol to enforce this new policy. Again, voted on by a show of hands with zero tolerance and zero empathy. Little children taken away from their devastated parents, screaming in agony and fear, and taken to cages like criminals or animals. Can you imagine the terror of having your child stripped from your hands and not even being able to speak the language to understand why, where they were going, and ask how to get them back? And even more sadly, in some cases, There were babies ripped from the nursing mother's arms to enforce this heartless policy that again was voted on by a show of hands with no plan or process to ensure these families were reunited. These babies were returned. As of today, a couple of years after invoking this policy, the United States of America has lost track of the parents of over 500 children. 545 to be exact. That's right. The United States government cannot find the parents of these children. Worse yet, our government has actually lost track of 362 of the children themselves. These 545 children whose parents had not been found, they were placed in shelters or foster homes under the supervision of HHS. But now there's 362 of them that cannot be located because the contact information provided by the sponsors is no longer current. Who knows where these poor children are? Who knows what kind of conditions they're in? So the most powerful government in the world, the United States of America, not only lost track of the parents of over 500 children that they purposely separated from. They actually lost 362 of the children themselves. By any standard, this policy, how it was devised, voted on, enacted, was cruel, borderline inhuman, hateful, and yes, racist. There is no question that this cruel policy was started with such cavalier planning and decision-making and enforced with such malice because the people affected were brown and black people from Mexico and Central and South America. There is no question that this and all the other examples represent the cancer of racism and hate that Donald Trump has mainstreamed by being president. 
As I said, he is not singularly responsible for where we are, but he has clearly made things worse. And he is a visible reminder every day that we tolerate and accept the cancer of racism and hate in this country. It's clear that Donald Trump and those who support him are not aligned with the values of the anti-racism commitment coalition. This is not politics. This is about values. This is not about red or blue. This is about right and wrong. Donald Trump has publicly chosen the side of racism, hate, and wrong. ARC publicly chooses the side of anti-racism, anti-hate, and right. Therefore, we must vote our values. We must vote for what is right. And that means voting for Joe Biden and voting no to 45. Voting against Donald Trump. The Ark of Change podcast is brought to you by the Anti-Racism Commitment Coalition. Visit us at joinarcc.org to learn more about Ark and join our movement. Reason number two. Donald Trump has destroyed common cause for good from the office of the presidency. We must vote no to Donald Trump and those who support him because they are not aligned with the values of the Anti-Racism Commitment Coalition, specifically the purpose of eradicating racism and hate and spreading anti-racism above all. This is evidenced by the fact that he has chosen to destroy the common cause for good for the country, the protection of the Constitution, and the well-being of all Americans. And that is wrong. Look, we all know that of the candidates who run for the office of President of the United States, the winner will more than likely be a representative from one of the two major political parties. And we also know that these two major political parties have vastly different views, in many cases diametrically opposed. The President of the United States is elected many times without even attaining 50% of the vote. So there are tens of millions of people who end up being stuck with a president whom they did not vote for. But the president's role is to be the president of all the United States and all of the people, not just the 40 some odd percent that voted for them. The president is supposed to rise above partisanship for the common good of all Americans and the common good of the country to protect the Constitution and protect our democracy. For a capitalistic democracy like ours to work, there needs to be checks and balances and a collective morality for a higher level common cause for good of the whole, not those with the most power and the most money will eventually have the resources and power to essentially turn the democracy into an oligarchy or dictatorship. This is why it is so important for us to remember that our form of government is not about one person, but instead of the people, for the people, and by the people. Our very first president, George Washington, tried to exemplify this by walking away after eight years as president, declining a third term to set the example that this is the for the common good of the country and the common good of the people. And that should be priority over the presidency. And that this is what would be different about the United States 
This shocked many leaders around the world that a man with all the power would simply walk away. But this is what the United States of America and the presidency was supposed to be about. The country over the president, not the president over the country. The Constitution over a party, not a party over the Constitution. The welfare and interest of all the people over the interests of the president. This is what common cause for good is about. It is about unity for all. Without this unity, the United States would not have the word united in its name. We would simply be a collection of states in name only. Common cause is what unites our diverse country and ensures that the few who are powerful do not take advantage of the many who are not, and that we are always striving for common good of the country and the common good of the people. It's the example of Abraham Lincoln preserving the Union while also liberating millions of enslaved people. It's the example of FDR keeping the country together during the Great Depression and then inspiring the mobilization of the country during World War II. It's the example of LBJ recognizing that common good was not being achieved for all the people in the country and signing sweeping civil rights legislation. It's the example of Ronald Reagan uniting Democrats and Republicans to win the Cold War and ultimately see the Soviet Union crumble. And it's the example of Barack Obama inspiring hope in hundreds of millions of Americans who united across race, ethnicity, religion, and parties to elect him in 2008 as the nation's first African-American president. And then risking his record popularity by putting the common good of the people first to get health care passed for tens of millions of people. Donald Trump, the 45th president of the United States, cares nothing about the common good of the country or the people. He cares only about himself. And this is wrong. Defeating racism and hate has little chance if there is no common cause for the overall welfare of the country and the people. Here's an incomplete list of the examples of his words and actions that clearly illustrate that the current president consistently places and prioritizes himself and his interests over the common good of the country and the people. He chooses himself over the Constitution by continually violating the emoluments clause in the Constitution, which was designed to ensure that the president does not financially benefit personally from his office or receive gifts or financial benefits from foreign leaders or monarchs. He's putting the legitimacy of voting and the voting process at risk. And he continues to clearly not state that he will peacefully transition power if he loses the election. He chooses himself over the truth by continually lying to the American people, told over 20,000 lies while in office over the last three and a half years, which makes him by far the most dishonest president ever. He chooses himself above the law by using the Department of Justice as his personal defense attorneys on cases from before he was even president potentially putting the taxpayers in a position in which we may have to pay any damages. And if all that's not enough, I want to close this section with two of the most egregious examples. 
to bring my point home. First, he chooses himself above the country and even above those who have given their lives for our country. He is continually trusted and sided with Vladimir Putin over our own intelligence agencies. He's refused to rebuke Putin for interfering with our elections, the most sacred part of our democracy. He's alienated longtime allies by siding with Putin. And incredibly and sadly, he refuses to hold Putin accountable for reportedly putting bounties on the heads of U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan. He dishonored the late United States Senator John McCain, who spent six years as a prisoner of war of the North Vietnamese after being shot down and seriously injured. While he was a prisoner of war, John McCain was tortured, but he still refused an out-of-service early release. He survived his ordeal, but he was left with lifelong disabilities. And through all of that, he never gave up to the enemy and stayed true to his country, returned home, and served in the United States Senate for 31 years. This is a man, whether you agreed with his policies or not, personified common cause for good of the country and his people, but not to Donald Trump. Donald Trump said that he was not a hero, but a loser because heroes don't get captured. But what's even worse is what he said about fallen World War I soldiers on a trip to France in 2017 when he was invited to visit their grave sites. He declined, reportedly telling his aides before canceling the trip, why should I go to that cemetery? It's filled with losers and that they were suckers for getting killed. This is what he said about the men who had given their lives for the common good of democracy in the name of the United States in supporting our allies abroad. Even those who don't believe in war and those on opposite sides of the aisle come together for the common good of recognizing and respecting our fallen soldiers, but not Donald Trump. It is only his interests that matter, not the people, not even those people who gave their lives for our country, the country that he's supposed to be leading. And secondly, and tragically, he chooses himself over the people, their lives, and their well-being. Trump's poor leadership and focus on his own interests over the interests and common good of the country and the people have led to the United States having the most devastating and deadly COVID-19 pandemic impact in the entire world. The president politicized the virus and purposely misled Americans about the dangers of COVID-19. He also demonized safety protocols like mask wearing and social distancing and rushed to reopen the economy to boost his election campaign. In February 2020, Trump called coronavirus the Democrats' new hoax. As I said earlier, words matter, especially when they come from an authority figure like the president. The word hoax, he's used it before, and it invokes a meaning for people of something that's not real, something that should not be believed, something that should be ignored. That same month, 
Trump did an interview with Bob Woodward in which he admitted that he knew weeks before the first confirmed U.S. coronavirus death that the virus was dangerous, airborne, highly contagious. In fact, he's quoted as saying, this is deadly stuff. That does not sound like a hoax. He had the knowledge, early warning, facts about how bad this could be. He knew it was real. He knew it was highly contagious and he knew it was deadly. Yet not only did he knowingly and willingly fail to protect the American people, he actually encouraged behaviors that actually put people at even greater risk. This is truly an egregious violation of the president's accountability to protect Americans by focusing on the common good of the country and the people. Here is a partial list of the things he has done to directly and indirectly put Americans at greater risk and create the worst pandemic impact in the world. He purposely misled the American people about the dangers of the pandemic. He lied to stir up tribalism by saying that it was a democratic conspiracy and a hoax, making some people further disbelieve the seriousness of this virus. He continues to hold large rallies with the majority of attendees not wearing masks. And everywhere he goes, a spike of confirmed COVID-19 cases follows. He continues to disparage mask wearing, even though there is more and more scientific evidence proving that mask wearing helps slow the spread of the virus, potentially saving hundreds of thousands of lives if he had the leadership courage to mandate a mask wearing policy nationally. And he has continually ignored the strain on our healthcare system due to the overflow of COVID-19 patients, putting our healthcare workers at serious risk of infection, stress, and overwork. The results of all this have been truly disastrous, but sadly predictable based on all the behaviors I just described. We are now on our third wave here in the United States. But because none of our valleys ever got very low, our base has always stayed high. And so our peaks are growing higher and higher. And now it appears we've got even darker days ahead of us. Just this past week, we recorded a new record number for one-day COVID-19 infections, more than 83,000. That's 6,000 higher than the country's previous record set in July. And our seven-day average also hit a new record high, surpassing 63,000. That's an 84% increase since the average started ticking back up in mid-September. We have at least 9 million confirmed cases and about 230,000 deaths this year alone. To put this in perspective, it's important to remember that the United States is only about 4% of the world's population. But we are 20% of the world's confirmed COVID-19 cases. And we're also 20% of the world's deaths. The United States, the most powerful country in the world, is the country with the highest confirmed cases and sadly, the most deaths. India is number two, but they have four times the population that we do. 
Yet we have a million more confirmed cases and double the number of deaths. We have lost more Americans to COVID-19 in less than a year than we lost in all of World War I, the attacks of 9-11, and the wars in Afghanistan, Iraq, and Vietnam, all combined. Even after all of this, the president and his supporters continue to undermine safety protocols, demonize mask wearing, and continue to hold large super spreader events. I could go on and on, but it's clear where the president stands. There are 230,000 Americans dead and a thousand more die every day from COVID-19 because he simply didn't care as much about the welfare of the people as he does about his own interests. To close this session, the president has virtually destroyed common cause for good. As common cause erodes, so does our shared morality. So does our conviction to uphold the Constitution and strive to finally be the country where all men and women are created and treated equal. So does the checks and balances that support our democracy and government for all, for the people, by the people, and of the people. And so does the stability of the United States of America. This is not about politics. This is about values. This is not about red or blue. This is about right and wrong. As Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, it's always the right time to do what's right. Donald Trump has publicly chosen to destroy the common cause for good and chosen the side of wrong. ARC publicly chooses the fierce urgency of now to do what is right for the common good of the country and the people and to stand against wrong. Therefore, we must vote our values. And that means voting for Joe Biden and voting no to 45 and against Donald Trump. Visit us at joinarcc.org. Follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter, and like us on Facebook. Reason number three, Donald Trump has created the tribalist division of Trumpism, threatening the preservation of our democracy. Trumpism is not conservatism. It is not republicanism. Instead, it is dangerously close to autocracy and fascism. Defeating racism and hate has little chance if the leadership of the country purposely divides and splinters the country by promoting tribalist mentality that leads to distrust, dehumanization, and hate. This is not aligned with the values of the Anti-Racism Commitment Coalition, specifically the purpose of eradicating racism and hate and spreading anti-racism above all. This is not about politics. This is about values. This is not about red or blue. This is about right and wrong. As I stated earlier, everyone and anyone is welcome to join ARC. In fact, our five core values for membership are as follows. First, all races, ethnicities, nationalities are welcome to join ARC. 
We're open to everyone and anyone as long as you are committed to eradicating racism and spreading anti-racism. Second, all genders, sexual orientations, identities, pronouns also are welcome to join ARC. It is worth repeating, ARC is open to everyone and anyone as long as you are committed to eradicating racism and spreading anti-racism. Third, we are a global organization. Racism, classism, and hate are unfortunately present all over the world. They may present themselves in different forms, but they are still there. We need a global presence to eradicate racism and hate globally. Fourth, all religions are welcome as long as religion does not overtake our core values and purpose to eradicate racism and spread anti-racism. ARC members always view religion through the lens of anti-racism. And finally, fifth, all political views are welcome to join ARC as long as policy does not overtake our core values and purpose to eradicate racism and spread anti-racism. ARC members always view policy through the lens of anti-racism. You heard that last one correctly. All political views are welcome to join ARC. This is not an alternative fact. It is the truth. Republicans are welcome to join ARC. Libertarians are welcome to join ARC. Conservatives are welcome to join ARC. Democrats are welcome to join ARC. Green Party members are welcome to join ARC. The issue isn't whether you're Republican, conservative, libertarian, Democrat, Green Party, or independent. What's important is, will you commit to the ARC core value and purpose to eradicate racism and hate and spread anti-racism? And are you on the side of right? And will you stand up against wrong? Donald Trump is not a Republican. He is not a libertarian. He is not a conservative. He is a self-absorbed autocrat who leans fascist. The people that follow him are not Republicans. They're not conservatives or libertarians. They are Trumpers. This is not about Republicanism or conservatism. This is about Trumpism. Over 100 prominent Republicans agree with me. The Lincoln Project is a well-funded group of Republicans with a singular mission to defeat Donald Trump and Trumpism. Rick Wilson, co-founder of the Lincoln Project, said on their website, this nation, this planet has been visited upon by a terrible plague. And the American president failed to provide the leadership due to his ignorance, intolerance, and extreme narcissism. The world is so desperately in need of leadership. Thousands of lives have been lost. Our economy is in shambles. And dreams have been dashed because Trump failed to lead. Another group called Republicans and Independents for Biden, launched by the Lincoln Project, all said that Donald Trump's daily assaults on our nation's founding principles pose an existential threat to the future of the republic. This group is headed by former New Jersey Governor Christine Todd Whitman, 
a Republican who stated that its sole mission is to defeat Donald Trump and elect Joe Biden as the next president of the United States. Former Ohio governor and Republican presidential candidate John Kasich spoke at the 2020 Democratic National Convention and reiterated his endorsement of Joe Biden and praised him for his experience and his wisdom and his decency. Former Republican Secretary of State and head of the Joint Chiefs, General Colin Powell, also spoke at the Democratic National Convention where he reiterated his endorsement of Joe Biden and said, our country needs a commander-in-chief who takes care of our troops in the same way he would his family. The former Republican governor of Michigan, Rick Snyder, penned a scathing opinion piece for USA Today, blasting Trump as a bully who lacks a moral compass. Bill Webb, a former Republican governor of Massachusetts and one-time 2020 Republican presidential candidate, endorsed Joe Biden. Twelve former Republican members of Congress endorsed Joe Biden. Obama administration Defense Secretary Chuck Hagel and Transportation Secretary Ray LaHood and Bush Administration EPA Director Christine Whitman, who also appeared at the Democratic National Convention alongside Kasich, all endorsed Joe Biden. Anthony Scaramucci, Trump's friend, who served as Trump's White House Communications Director for just a couple of weeks, endorsed Biden and called Trump crazy. Carly Fiorina, a former Hewlett-Packard CEO and Republican presidential candidate, said she cannot support Trump and that elections are binary choices, while Meg Whitman, another former Hewlett-Packard CEO, who also spoke at the Democratic National Convention, said that Trump has no clue how to run a business, let alone an economy. Four former Republican United States senators have come out for Biden. And one of them, Jeff Flake, the former senator from Arizona, called a Trump second term a real danger. And a group of 73 former United States national security officials in Republican administrations, including former heads of the CIA and FBI and Trump administration officials, endorsed Joe Biden, asserting that Trump's corrupt behavior renders him unfit to serve as president. Now, you might ask, OK, well, how many prominent Democrats are supporting Donald Trump? Well, if by prominent you mean important, well-known, well-respected, then the answer is none. If you mean famous or maybe infamous, then there is one. Disgraced former Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich, whose prison sentence for, among other things, attempting to sell Barack Obama's vacant Senate seat was commuted by Trump. So it's clear. Most people paying attention understand what is happening, and what is at stake. Donald Trump is not a Republican. He is not a conservative. He has created a tribalist movement behind himself and his campaign of wrong. The president's clear appeal to racism and white nationalism, his destruction of common cause for the good of the country by placing his own interests first, his insulting of our veterans and casualties of war, his decision to mislead Americans about COVID-19 and politicize and demonize safety protocols, causing hundreds of thousands of deaths and counting, and the systemic destruction of democracy, moving us 
away from the government for, by, and of the people and to a government for, by, and of Trump. This is a threat to us all. Again, it is clear that this president is not a Republican. He's not a conservative. He is a Trumper. He values himself over the country. Donald Trump and those who support him are not aligned with the values of the Anti-Racism Commitment Coalition. More than 100 prominent Republicans and independents agree with me and endorse Joe Biden. And almost as importantly, have spoken out publicly to voice truth to power against Donald Trump, basically saying what I have been saying for a long time. This is not about policy or politics. This is about values and basic human decency. This is not about left or right, conservative or liberal, red or blue. This is about right and wrong. Donald Trump has publicly chosen the side of racism, division, tribalism, and wrong. Therefore, we must vote our values. We must vote for right. And that means voting for Joe Biden and voting no to 45 and voting against Donald Trump. Visit us at joinark.org to learn more about ARC. Donate to our cause and join the movement that will change the world. So in closing, I will answer the question directly. Do you think that it's a good idea for ARC to be so strong with its call to publicly stand against and vote no to 45? The answer is a resounding yes. In fact, I don't see how the answer could be anything but yes. There's no way I could live with my conscience knowing that I could have used my voice, my platform, my influence to change this negative and disastrous path that we're on. And I didn't do it. I could not live with myself knowing that I betrayed my family, my friends, my country, and all that I believe in. And I simply couldn't live with myself knowing that I didn't stand up for what is right. I direct this now to those Americans who have not yet voted but are still maybe undecided or are leaning to vote for Donald Trump. I go back to what my mother told me about accountability for right and wrong. Even though you are my son, she told me, and I love you, if you knowingly do what is wrong, I will stand against you. Because if I don't, then I am complicit and I am also choosing the side of wrong. And I refuse to do that. If my mother understood that and was willing to stand up against her baby boy for what is right, then it is much lower bar for you to make a decision regarding this president. Take a stand against him now. Vote for Joe Biden and against Donald Trump. There are hundreds of millions of innocent lives and futures at stake. 45, Donald Trump must go. This is not about politics. 
This is about values. This is not about red or blue. This is about right and wrong. It is not too late. It's always the right time to do what is right. Start by voting no to 45 and influencing everyone in your network to do the same. To find the Arc of Change podcast with Donzo Leggett and learn more about the Anti-Racism Commitment Coalition or Arc, please visit us at joinarc.org. That's J-O-I-N-A-R-C-C dot O-R-G. You can also search for our podcast on your favorite podcast hosting sites. And please subscribe to the Arc of Change with Donzo Leggett. I greatly look forward to our next episode, an opportunity to inspire you to become part of the movement that will change the world by ending racism once and for all. Until next time, stay safe and continue to ask yourself, am I doing enough? And remember that none of us are doing enough as long as racism still exists. Remember to vote, 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 vote early if you can and ensure that your vote is counted. Thanks for listening and goodbye. The Arc of Change podcast with Donzel Leggett is brought to you by the Anti-Racism Commitment Coalition. To learn more about Arc, donate to our cause, and join the coalition, visit joinarcc.org. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and share this podcast to help spread our mission to change the world by ending racism once and for all. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay safe and be inspired.